Hey everyone, welcome to the Product Startup Podcast, a podcast that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product designers, and other industry professionals. This podcast is run by Macro Design and Invent and hosted by Philip Belecha. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to putting your product on the shelf. We're taking you step-by-step step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Now onto the show. This is the Product Startup Podcast, Episode 3, Hari Pudgartnik and Design for Founders. Welcome to the Product Startup Podcast, helping you turn ideas into successful products step-by-step. With your host, Philip Valitza. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Product Startup Podcast. This is Episode 3. Today, I'm joined by Heidi Pudgartnik. I first heard about her through a free email course I took. She provided the course for startup founders looking to learn the basics of graphic design. She's a designer gone entrepreneur, and she'll talk with us about the importance of graphic design in our business. She also works with bootstrapping founders to figure out branding, marketing, and conversions at designforfounders.com. During our conversation today, we'll talk about some design hacks, including testing and converting more website visitors into buyers, why she thinks founders should use templates, and what style tiles are and how to get a professional design and save money using them. At the end, she shares how to download a free ebook to help us get started with our graphic designs. So let's get to the interview. Hi, Heidi. How are you doing? Oh, good, Philip. How are you? I'm very good. Well, I'm really glad to have you on because uh, I think the topic that we're going to talk about today is relevant to basically anybody that's starting a business. Can you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Uh, Sure. First of all, uh, thank you for having me. What I do basically is I run a design website called Design for Founders, where I try to teach people, um, especially entrepreneurs, how to achieve certain things with design and to, to kind of introduce the importance of design and how it can help with sales, conversions and uh, marketing. You know, I think that's a really good point that you bring up because sometimes people get lost in the marketing and they feel like, oh, it's just marketing. Um, it needs to just look pretty. But I'm glad that you're tying in your craft to the end goal, which is to sell more product or services or to increase conversions. Yes, yes. Actually, when I talk with designers, even not even not only uh, entrepreneurs, but even lots of web and graphic designers don't really have this knowledge of increasing conversions and they don't really know what's going to affect the bottom line in business. And they see their jobs as strictly just making things pretty. And while that is a part of that, it's very important how your company looks on the outside, right? But this won't actually, it won't necessarily affect the bottom line and your sales in a good way. Right. No, and I could, I could see that. So you work with startups and entrepreneurs and small business owners now? Actually, I used to, when I was a freelancer still, I used to work with small businesses and startups. So I kind of got the feeling of what's needed in the space, what what these people want and learn something about the lean startup methodologies and stuff like that. And basically now I'm trying to take that knowledge and just put it into blog posts, books and videos. That's great. I know at the end of this episode, we can start talking about some free training that I'm sure you want to roll out to everybody. Yes, yes, for sure. So that's that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. 
Let's focus on some of your experiences and maybe you can talk a little bit about the common mistakes that people make when they're first starting their business when it comes to graphic design. Yes, I find that many people start with, you know, their websites and stuff by just buying a template, which is good. Actually, I, I there's a lot of misunderstanding of what templates do. And I think that designers generally don't like them because they see templates and themes as kind of a competition, which I think is very, very much not true. But I think it's like a good idea to take the design that's already out there, that's already available, and it's well done, mostly, and just use that. But what people are sometimes doing is... Because they've probably read something about how templates are the source of all evil and, <laughs> and not like a good way to build your brand. They decide to just DIY it from scratch, from just the very beginning without like having any kind of idea what design requires. So I see a lot of very bad <laughs> design and very kind of ugly websites that could definitely be fixed by using a template. And I know this is not a popular op opinion among designers, but I think that from the very beginning, when you don't have the cash or the time to get a professional designer or training that's required to build a nice, very professional looking website, it's a actually a good idea to start out and to test your ideas, your business ideas by just using a template. So I'm really happy to hear you say that for uh, multiple things here. First of all, I think you're going to get a bunch of letters from designers, some some angry letters in your mailbox, <laughs> right? How dare yeah. you promote templates? It's interesting that you say how people start with their designs because I've seen a lot of people modify templates, not know why they should change what they're mm -hmm. changing. Yes. And the simplicity and beauty of some templates that even though they might be very basic, ends up being lost because now... Someone's changed the intent of it and, and they don't know why, really. Maybe we could talk about that a little bit. Yes, yes. Uh, that's a good point, actually. I think that if you're using a template, generally, if it's well done, probably you will have to pay for something that's well done most of the time. But for these templates, it's not a good idea for someone who is not a designer or doesn't really know what they're doing to change the fonts or change colors dramatically or just play with spacing because that's going to really ruin the whole idea, right? Because each design piece is something completely different. You know, there's really, it's really hard to establish very general rules for all designs that are out there. You know, every one of these templates was carefully crafted and designed custom for that particular feel. So if you want to capture that feel or that visual impression, you should not touch anything that's inside ex except for the content. Great. So that's excellent advice. And you touched on one topic really quickly. You said there are no specific rules or, or hard rules, but Maybe you can talk a little about how many fonts I should have and how they should be laid out. And we can start talking about colors a little bit. Yes, actually, I talk about this in the freebie that you mentioned. It's free to download. You know, you'll see the link in the description of this episode. But that's where I also pick apart everything. I try to create a general rule, exactly what I was saying that, that doesn't exist, but some rules can be applied without having a lot of knowledge of design. And one of these is definitely what you mentioned, which is uh, fonts. It's great to limit the, the number of fonts and it's best to keep it at maximum of two different fonts. I recommend that people really use one font for 
body text. And that's everything from lists to, to like paragraphs, everything on a website, except for the headlines. And then for the headlines, you use a different font that's a lot more contrasting to the body font. And this will create a nice little contrast and create some kind of hierarchy for your, for all your text. Now, how do you pick these two fonts? It's actually pretty easy. You can go ahead and just research this and maybe make it uh, more complicated. But there's one hack to take one typeface family, such as Helvetica, for example, or Open Sans. These are both typeface families. And then you take two very different fonts from this same family. So let's say for the Open Sans, I'm not sure exactly which fonts are inside. I'm sure it has uh, regular, which is for, for body. And then you take like a very thick, very black kind of uh, font for the headlines. They have like a, a bold or a, an ultra bold uh, font for the headlines. So basically the intent here is to have as much contrast as possible between the, the heading and the body text without seeming like it's written by two different people. Yeah, kind of. That's a good point. That's a good way to put it. There's like also such thing as too much contrast. And this is what you can get if you've combined two very different fonts. And, you know, there's really a huge kind of debate around which fonts look well together. But this is like what I described was really just the most basic thing that even designers recommend. If you don't know what exactly to pick, just pick two different fonts from the same typeface family. There are other ways of picking different fonts that's also like and pairing fonts and stuff but uh, i just really just wanted to keep this very simple yeah understood and that makes things pretty easy and you can always go back and hire somebody like yourself help them make that decision if they want to get really complicated yes of course <laughs> actually i'm sorry to interrupt but i think this is very important on my website on design for founders i talk about style tiles a lot this is a fairly new modern kind of tool that uh, designers use in the stage between the initial meeting with the, their clients before they develop an actual website or the layout, they create like what's called a style tile, which, you know, it's kind of hard to explain, but it's, um, it's basically a document that just has these different styles and different fonts in it. So the client can kind of get the sense of how it will all look in the end, but it's not the end uh, layout yet. So I think that for entrepreneurs, this might be the way of getting professional design. You can get designer to create just the style tiles because it won't take that long. It'll just take a few design decisions such as pairing fonts and picking the right colors. And you can then apply these styles to the website that you're developing, to your own map or whatever your product is. And your entire design is based on professional design decisions. And, you know, this is like a way of really saving a lot of money, if, you know, in the process. Right. So there's basically like a mood board. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. Some people call it a branding definition. Yeah. Branding guidelines also. <laughs> but that's that's actually like a a slightly different document that yeah. larger companies have. And it has all the details around uh, how much white space should be left around the logo and which fonts can be used and exactly at which uh, sizes and stuff like that. But this style tiles are just much simpler way of kind of combining all the styles together, producing that final feel that the whole branding will have. And then just applying that to every little thing that you produce. Okay, so actually that brings up another question. Whenever people are starting their business, a lot of times you'll see them order their business cards first or create their stationery or their website or something like that. But then we also get told, 
you need to focus on your clients first and all that other stuff will come later. Do you think that, you know, entrepreneurs should be creating some of their graphics uh, piece by piece as they need it? Or is that something that maybe they should create like a mood board or a style tile first and then that kind of drives everything? I think these are uh, two questions because one is, is it okay to start a business not focusing on clients, but just starting out with some of the stuff like stationery and business cards, which I think is actually, I think that most people, you know, that are out there are are right. You know, you shouldn't start with focusing on uh, the perfect logo. You need to start by focusing on getting the first client, right? This is just to validate right. the idea you have and stuff like that. So, but you ask if a, a founder or an entrepreneur should produce different pieces that are needed in a business piece by piece, which yes, they should, I think. But everything that's in a brand should look about the same, you know, because this is how you build your brand. Logo is not exactly what people will recognize as your company. What, what people recognize as part of this huge, <laughs> huge or, or small company is actually the entire branding. So every little detail counts, like what color of t-shirt you're wearing for a uh, meeting, for example, or, or your business cards, obviously, and everything you deliver, even the emails and stuff like that. So it's not just the visual feel, but it's also the way you speak and which words you're using and stuff like that. So I think that this all needs to have a guideline, right? And I think this is another way of using style tiles is to basically take the guidelines that are embedded in the style tiles and just apply it to every single thing that you produce. Even though you can print the business cards now and then a year later, you might, I don't know, develop a mobile app for your business. But you always need to use the same rules for all your branding. So I think, yeah, to answer your question, it would be definitely, it would make sense to start with style tiles. It doesn't take that long to just create them and then basically to base everything on those rules. Right. Absolutely. That way you're staying consistent. Mm -hmm. Step one, we create our style tile. And uh, step two, we start thinking about some of the font choices. I guess after that, we start looking at color. Yes, actually, a hack for picking the colors uh, is very similar to the one for the fonts. It's basically to only pick two, right? A very common error that I see people make, and I used to make this mistake when I was starting out in, in design, it's to pick very kind of darkish, almost like dirty looking colors because you see that all the bright colors are already used by companies like Twitter and MailChimp and stuff like that. So basically what you need to do is to not try to be too creative. This was a problem when I started out because I was always afraid that if I use the rules that or, or tips that uh, design blogs were uh, recommending that I would just create designs that would be just nothing original, right? But, you know, eventually you kind of let go of this kind of idea that design is art because it isn't. Its only purpose is to create better businesses, in my opinion. And I think that's also like true for a lot of people and a lot of companies. Right. So it's communication, basically. Yeah. The way to you should pick colors is to basically steal them. I, I know this kind of sounds crazy, but it's not actually. There's this website called Flat UI Colors. We'll link it in the description. It's basically like a list of colors that are pretty and that will work basically with in any kind of combination. And I 
personally recommend this website or just like another website with these colors. And just I recommend that if you don't know which color to pick, just take two from these websites or from this uh, from these patterns. Trying to create a new color from the Photoshop's color picker, it just gives you way too many options and you will pick something that's ugly. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally understand that. And I'm glad that you said that about design, because I think design is just a way of connecting with other people. As you said, choosing colors that are things that people have seen before is a way of speaking a language that they're used to seeing elsewhere. That's right. Yeah, I, I wanted to just add something to this. That's completely right. I agree with that. If you, if we're looking at a more maybe a bigger picture of this uh, concept, it's very common for people to kind of try to reinvent the user experience of websites and uh, web applications and mobile applications. And that's not really beneficial because you really need to take the experience that people are already used to. Right. If you just invent a new kind of way to navigate the website, that won't help you. It will maybe give you some exposure in terms of, oh, look at this person who is very crazy and created this very new experience. But in terms of sales, it won't help you. So it's very, very good to simply copy the experiences and the way websites already work because people already know how to use them. Excellent advice. No, I totally agree. <laughs> we, you know, we talked about colors. And by the way, I've used the Adobe Hueler tool as well for that. Mm -hmm. And I agree. One last thing about colors. Do you put any stock, any thought in what colors actually mean? Or do you just suggest for people to pick colors that they feel strongly about? For me, to be entirely honest, I don't think that's measurable enough for me to, to do. So I never really paid attention to what the colors mean. I do know what they mean. And I've done the research because uh, I needed to have some kind of arsenal to defend my design choices to my clients. But I never quite believed that. So in my opinion, from what I've been doing a lot of uh, research on conversions, because that's something that I'm really interested in. And it turns out that picking a very contrasting color for call to action for example, if your website is mainly white and a little bit blue, right? And if you pick a blue color for your call to action button, it will very likely have a lower conversion rate than if you would um, create a button that's uh, orange or red, because it's a lot harder to miss a very contrasting color, right? In in the in the landing page. So this is something that's measurable and I like it. And that's why I don't generally talk about what colors mean a lot, but you know, it's up to anyone. If they believe that red color will make their branding look a lot more energetic, that's totally valid. That's fine. And just go ahead and use it. But myself personally, I don't care so much. So. Right. So basically just use whatever you feel that matches the brand or the feeling that you're going for and don't worry too much about psychology. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so what's next if once we pick our colors and our fonts? Next is spacing. And this is a very tough topic because this is hard to, to put any actual numbers on. Step number one is to group things that are related contextually. For example, like I think that most people already do this. It's really 
hard not to not to do this. From time to time, I see interfaces that are really very much in- ignoring this principle. What it means, it's actually like to take every item in the navigation bar, for example, and just grouping them together and just separating them from the rest of the website. This is something that we all probably do quite instinctually, but it's just good to note what exactly is going on. And then second is alignment. Basically, what you want to do is to use a grid, preferably not only when you build, you're building a website, grids can be also used for posters and uh, logos and stuff like that. What's very common is to have people use the grid, but then they also use the margins. For example, you have a layout for a blog and then it's all well aligned, but the blog post has some margin on the left side. So it, it doesn't look right because it's not really aligned visually. It's just technically it's aligned, but it also has the margin that came from somewhere. So it's a good idea to just get rid of all the extra padding and margins and just align the elements to the grid. And in this freebie that we're talking about, I recommend the layouts that you should use and just avoid the 12 over 16 column grids that most designers use because that's way too complicated. And I'm not sure if anyone really uses that except for fashion magazine designers or whatever. So that's the second part of spacing. And the third part is adding white space. And really, this is the hard part because it's really hard to give you a good guideline on how much white space is good. There's one guideline and it's better to apply more white space than less white space, which is something that I see as like a very common error to basically be afraid that people won't scroll down the landing page. Then people just remove the white space that's on the website. And this causes the hierarchy to fall apart and it's just not good for the flow of the website or any kind of content. So uh, talk about white space a little bit more, because if you go to a museum and you look at a piece of art on a wall, many times, especially if it's a really important piece, it's surrounded by completely nothing on a white wall. Why is that? That's the idea. Yeah, exactly what you said. The point of white space is to basically drag more attention to what's surrounded by the white space. There's a huge difference in how much white space you use. For example, this is a good experiment to to do if you're feeling like it because it's quite simple to do. You just take one headline and leave it with zero letter spacing. And then you take another headline and you add a few pixels of letter spacing between the letters, right? And you'll, you'll start to notice that as you add more space between the letters, the headline starts to become a lot more luxurious. You kind of expect that you're going to have to pay for this product a lot more than you would if there was no letter spacing in there. So this is a really nice example of how white space can make your product feel differently and even look more expensive than it would be if if you use a very basic design or even like non-professional kind of design. That's a great tip. And it's free, right? White space is free. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You can can get as much as you want. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But, you know, because it's so hard to get, It takes a long time to learn this feeling of applying the right amount of white space. This is probably why lots of entrepreneur designers, they really like, it's really hard to get. That's the the problem. So, you know, if you want to play around with it, if you have a more luxurious kind of product and you want to apply more white space, then 
I just recommend people in general when they're uh, looking to learn design to just try and recreate a couple of great designs that they find. I think that's the best way to learn anything. They're just like recreating great pieces of whatever you're trying to learn. And if you're into that and you don't want to hire a designer, just find a, a nicely designed website that has the luxurious kind of feeling and try to recreate it because you will start to learn how much spacing you need to leave between different elements. Great tips. Thanks. We talked about spacing a little bit more and grids, which basically just are a way of laying out information. So it's set up in an orderly way. Mm -hmm. Did you want to start talking about the hierarchy a little bit about how sometimes I see websites that have three or four things on a page that are all screaming for my attention? How mm -hmm. can people prevent that? Or why is that even a bad thing? Because if I make everything large and red, why won't people read it all? That's a very good question, actually. So uh, this is also something that I see a lot. It's like this lack of hierarchy. And um, you need to realize that people who come to your website, they are not really, you know, invested in you. They're not going to read your entire website. It's very likely that they won't even read most of it. They will probably just read maybe the headline and maybe the pricing and some notes, side notes or something like that. So you really need to figure out, first of all, what's the most important information on your website and then put as much visual emphasis on this information. So for example, if let's say I created a video course, right? And I'm selling this video course on a landing page. What's most important for me on this landing page is the call to action, because that's the whole point of this landing page. I don't want people to go and follow me on Facebook. Uh, I don't want people to go and become affiliates of this video course. I don't want people to go and read my blog. I want people to buy this course, right? So, you know, in my hierarchy kind of list, call to action would be number one element in terms of importance. The second most important thing is probably the headline, because the, this is something that will either draw people in or push them away, or just if it's not good enough, they will close the website. What's a good way of making sure that you're creating a well laid out landing page is to write out all the elements in a kind of a list, basically, and then order these this list in the order of importance. So you start with the most important, which is for me, the call to action, and then the second most important, the third most, most important. And then you want to put a lot more importance, visual emphasis, basically, on, on the first one than you would on the fifth element, for example. Just to recap, this is basically to encourage people to take action or to just put emphasis on something that's the most important thing there because people won't read your entire landing page. That won't ever happen. Don't, don't count on that. Right. People will basically scroll from top to bottom sometimes and they just want to kind of get the point of it. Yeah. And uh, the best way of maybe doing that is is making sure that you've got your headings set up and maybe some bullet points or things like that. So if people yeah. only read the headings or only read the bullet points that they're getting a good part of the story. Yeah, exactly. So we've talked about layout and colors and fonts. Mm -hmm. What's another important design element that people sometimes overlook? 
I think that would be a logo. People overestimate how important logo is because it is not that important, actually. It's just symbolizing some things about your company, but it doesn't have to say anything, honestly. It needs to kind of set the rules for the rest of the branding. That's all the logo does. So this is something that I think many founders like to put way too much emphasis on. And this is the reason I never like I used to do logos. But then I stopped because people put way too much personal meaning or maybe like every little detail in the logo was a part of their business or of their personality. And it turned out that you can't quite capture that. Clients wanted the logo to be descriptive of them themselves, then they would have to design it themselves, right? And I don't think that's a good idea either. So um, in my opinion, make the logo as simple as possible, how it looks, what it symbolizes, just make it simple and clean and don't put too much emphasis on it. A good way of figuring out if your logo is simple enough is to just make it as small as like very small, like a, maybe an inch by inch. That's like, that's how small the logos can get. And it needs to work in black and white as well. So this is something that if it's readable, if it's very well legible and, and looks right on the small sizes, then it's probably simple enough. If it doesn't look right, then it, you can't read the letters and stuff like that. You need to make it simpler. That's right. Because you don't know how that logo is going to be used in the future and you want to Make sure that when you start, it's going to be flexible enough to apply to all sorts of different media. Yeah, exactly. Uh, especially like, what are you going to do when you need to print out a t-shirt, for example, or create a, I don't know, a stamp or something like that. Then suddenly you need to redesign the logo or put a lot more effort into creating a new version of the logo. And it, it's not worth it. In, in my opinion, don't pay too much attention to the logo. Just make it very simple. Use the colors that you use for the branding and use the fonts that you use for the branding. So it, it kind of connects the entire branding together, but it's not that important. You need the logo, but you don't need to pay too much attention to what it says. I have a confession to make. When I was creating my logo for the product startup, mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many hours I spent on it. I probably spent, I know I spent more time than anybody else does, but I probably spent like eight, eight to 10 hours plus uh, on creating maybe 20 something versions, going through the different colors and making sure there's symbolism and trying to show that there's a startup and... There's this upward trajectory and you get this feeling behind the logo and and reading all the blog posts and all the, you know, every, because everybody will give you advice on it. And, and it, you know, all of a sudden there was all this pressure to make like the best logo because that's how people judge your brand. To be honest, after a while, it was just so overwhelming that I just settled on the logo that I have now, which is just typography mm -hmm. because it was the easiest decision and I had to move on and, and make other decisions that were more important to the business. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a, a good way to kind of procrastinate on the rest of the business to just obsess over uh, the logo. I don't think that makes a lot of sense. I think that you need to think about where will the logo be, right? Because People, like you said, people will judge your company by your logo, but that's not quite right because people don't actually see the logo on its own ever. Almost, almost never. Maybe they see it on your t-shirt or whatever, you know. Most of the time, your logo will be in the context of, of like a website or a, I don't know, any kind of marketing material. And the whole thing will be what people judge you by. 
not just the logo. So I think there's way too much uh, obsession around this part of branding. So I would recommend that people who are currently obsessing over that to just put the pencil down and walk away. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but maybe just to focus on on style tiles instead, because that's the, that's what what's going to actually drive the whole branding for them. Picking the right colors, picking the right fonts, stuff like that, and just being consistent with using those. That's also like some one point that I'm constantly making is to sure you need to use the same kind of logo and it needs to look exactly the same on every page or you know wherever. But you also need to make sure that the rest of the branding is very consistent and that your Facebook page and your website and your Twitter account they all look the same so that people can actually connect those three. So everything goes back to the style tiles, basically. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I talked a little bit about what people think of your brand. Let's talk about something that's a little bit more important than that, right? I want people to use my service or to buy my product. Is there a way of testing that? Does design play a factor in that? Yeah, I think that, you know, this is something that's, uh, that a lot of people don't use, but there's a way to even test how well your design is performing. And that is by doing A-B testing. This is something that I would very warmly recommend to anyone who has a website. If they have like an extra half an hour per week, for example, just apply this A-B testing. It can be free. You can use Google Analytics, which has the experiments feature, and you just set it up. It's quite simple. I just did it on Design for Founders, and you can measure every little detail from color of your buttons to which headline to use for your blog posts or for your landing pages. These changes um, and these measurements can really change your conversion rate and therefore revenue quite a bit. So yeah, this is something that if you're not doing this yet, just do it as soon as possible. Yeah, no, I definitely need to do that. <laughs> I've got some clients that I'm working with on the side and usually they're my test group. I ask them, hey, what do you think about this? Because they're my ideal client. I want to make sure that what I create resonates. Is that something that you recommend or do you think testing online gives you better or faster results? Well, this is just a different type of measurement, which is, I think it's called quantitative testing or something like that. It's also very valuable. It can give you good ideas on what exactly to test on your website. But it's true that hopefully you have more traffic on your website than just the five clients you work with, right? Right. So I would still recommend you do set up this, this A-B testing. But, you know, since you have the access to exactly your target audience, this is useful to get ideas for what exactly you should test. Maybe they say, okay, well, I don't quite understand what DIY product development means. And then you would want to rethink this headline that you have on your website and just try to test something else that's maybe more up there alley, you know? Absolutely. So yeah, yeah, I guess both these methods are really, really valuable. Well, great. I think we talked a lot about all the things that people can do themselves with graphic design. How can you tell if you're ready to move on to the next step? Do you think people should be in business for a certain amount of time before they reach out to someone for help? Yeah, actually, I, I would say that when you can afford it, and not just any designer, but when you can afford it, like a professional high class designer, you should hire them. And when it makes business sense, obviously, don't just invest $500 in into, oh, I have a new website or don't do just redesigns because of the redesigns, right? Because design is very important, but there's a lot uh, you can already do by yourself just by investing a couple of hours into, into developing 
style tiles <laughs> and, uh, and the rest of the branding. So when can, you can afford a high-priced premium designer, do that. But until then, it might not make sense because it won't necessarily affect your revenue in any kind of way. And I would recommend that following up from the, the previous point that start testing your conversion rates right now and your behavior of people on the website so that you can compare your current design with whatever the designers are going to develop later. Because you might find out, I'm not saying that this will be the case, but you might find out that your previous design, which was some amateur and non-professional, might be better for your revenue. Right. It all depends on your target audience yeah. and I guess what they respond to. Mm -hmm. Well, great. As we're wrapping up now, are there some things that you want to mention really quick that you feel are you know the top three or five mistakes that people make? I know we talk a lot about how to do design from the ground up, but... Are there some classic mistakes that you see everywhere that you just wish that people would stop doing? Mm. Some pet peeves. <laughs> I don't know. Actually, like I think one, I already mentioned this, that people are trying to be way too unique and way too creative. And I think that people, not only founders, but maybe especially designers need to realize that design is not art. As I as already said, design's point is to create more sales and to kind of build a brand. It's not to show off the designer skills or, or to, I don't know, to do any kind of brand new reinvented uh, user experiences. So yeah, this is something, you know, if you can, you know, you should always copy what's already out there because if, of course you need to kind of put your own twist on it, right? You know, it doesn't make sense to try to invent new kind of design or new kind of experiences and layouts if people won't know how to use them in the end. Great advice. We're nearing the end of the show here. And I wanted to make sure that we mentioned that you've put together a guide that covers all the content that we've talked about today. Yeah. And I'll make sure that we link that in the show notes. Can you tell everybody where they can find you? And can they shoot you a tweet or an email if they have any questions? Yeah, I would just direct people to designforfounders.com, which is the main website where they can find my blog, also my book on design. And I think there's also the links to the social media and stuff like that. But yeah, I would really recommend people to download this freebie, 10 Steps to Fixing Design, because while I did try to mention a lot of tips in this episode, there's many more tips on, in the guide itself and also examples. So I would love to get your audiences and the listeners feedback on it. Maybe I can even feature them inside this guide once it's, it's out for real. So yeah, I want to mention that this is a exclusive pre-launch copy. Wow. So you should totally go there and, and download the, the guide. Great. Well, thank you very much, Heidi. It was good talking to you. And hopefully we'll have you on in a show in the future and we can talk about some of the more advanced topics. Yes. Thank you, Philip. Uh, thank you for having me. Well, we'll talk about more in the future episodes. And that concludes today's episode. Thanks for listening. I've put all the links that we've covered under the show notes posted on theproductstartup.com slash episode three. Join me next time as we talk with Brad Summy from the Savage Jerky Company. Brad and his friends set out to create flavorful spicy beef jerky that wasn't terrible for you and didn't contain ingredients that belong in a lab instead of a kitchen. They launched a Kickstarter in February 2014 and extended their goal in less than 30 days. Savage Jerky Company, episode four. And one last thing, if you like this episode and you want to see more like it, 
Or even if you want to see something different, please leave me a review on iTunes by going to theproductstartup.com slash review. I really appreciate your support and I read all the comments and questions and try to incorporate them into future episodes. Reviews also help me get guests on the show. See you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast with your host, Philip Valitza. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit theproductstartup.com. Your guide to getting there. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast, the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. This podcast series is brought to you by Maco Design and Invent, the first firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product businesses. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to macodesign.com. That's M-A-K-O design.com for a free consultation from one of Maco Design's four design studios from coast to coast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.